time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour for this special uh, Memorial Day edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, we got a, an interesting one uh, coming up, to be sure. Um, but first, a little tribute to Summer. I have only comparatively recently emerged from the United States Army. So that I am now, of course, in... Oops, that wasn't the one I meant. Let's try this one instead. Okay, a little musical tribute to Summer. Harm you. No, 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 no. Not with your daddy. 
Everybody, this is the Tom Sumner program, and my guest this hour is uh, a lieutenant colonel retired from uh, the U.S. Air Force, turned author, um, and and he's flown over 151 uh, combat missions, but uh, during his 20 years in the Air Force. But we'll find out how many books he's written when we uh when we talk with him the the book that just came out is the astonishing world war ii saga of one man's defiance and indomitable spirit about american hero lieutenant bill harris from uh, again world war ii in the uh, pacific uh, theater if you will and uh, joining me by phone is dan hampton dan good morning and welcome to the show good morning tom it's a pleasure to be here thanks Dan, is this your first book? Uh, no, it's actually my eighth book. Okay, I I thought so, but I, I just I wasn't sure, and I didn't have anything in my notes. Darn it! Um, but let me uh, let me ask this: How did you get onto the story about Bill Harris? Because most of the stories we hear, and there are lots of them, films and books and so on. Uh, radio programs and documentaries and stuff about the war in Europe, but not as much about the um, the war in the uh, uh, in the Pacific. Well, that's uh, that that's true. I think in a lot of ways, um, I think a lot of people very interested in the in the European war because a good portion of America is of European descent so when when that war broke out you know that that's where the sympathies lay and of course you know World War one had been you know barely you know just 20 years or so before it which was fought in in Europe so that's what people were most familiar with 
The war in the Pacific, on the other hand, was against a completely different culture um, and in a completely different environment, whereas the one in Europe is fought on large land masses. The war in the Pacific was fought on, you know, little fly specks on a map somewhere and vast spaces of, of, of ocean and airspace in between. So they were completely different types of conflicts. Um, the, there was a wonderful miniseries that came out a few years ago called The Pacific, which I still enjoy very much. So I'd encourage anybody who's curious about the Pacific War to watch that. It's a good background. Great tip. Thanks. Um, so how did you come about um, this particular story? Were you researching something um, about the Philippines, or did it come up in this uh, uh, Pacific documentary and you started looking into it how did, how did you get on to Bill Harris's story I got on to Bill Harris's story because the book before this was called Vengeance and it's about oh. the army fighter pilots that shot down and killed Admiral Yamamoto and they were based out of Guadalcanal and there was a marine aviator general on Guadalcanal named Field Harris and so he's you know, I had to research him a bit, and I found out that he had a son who was also a Marine officer and fighting in the Pacific, and those sorts of things, you know, are intriguing, you know, fathers and sons sure. fighting in the same So I made a note of it and then forgot about it until after Vengeance was, was out, and when I was looking around for a new book to write, I remembered and dug into Bill's history and find out, found out how extraordinary it was and managed to get a hold of his daughter, who uh, is the little baby on the cover, by the way. Uh, but she was gracious enough to let me uh, look at her dad's 1,500-page handwritten manuscript that he'd put together after the war. I think he did it as, you know, therapy. Uh, we'd call it PTSD these days. They didn't call it that, but I think he just needed to get it off of his <laughs> chest. In those days, they were shell-shocked. Yeah, shell-shocked. <laughs> but I think that's what makes this book so readable is you know, all the first-person quotes and thoughts and everything that are in there, you know, and they're noted in the back, but nobody ever reads that. They all came from Bill Harris. They're all, you know, those are his his words that he used and his descriptions of these events and places through his own eyes, which is always very interesting. That must have just clinched the book for you um, as you were compiling information and doing research because you don't usually get that kind of insider stuff when you're doing something historical like this. Yeah, I had never gotten that kind of a break before, so I was <laughs> I was I was thrilled. I mean, you know, sometimes guys keep a lot of records and you know there's there's all sorts of documents and stuff, but it doesn't really tell you who they were or what they thought about, and men of that generation especially were relatively tight-lipped and, and closed-mouthed about things in general and war specifically. They didn't, just didn't talk about it. Yeah, you might so, find a shoebox full of uh, cards and letters, you know, or something, you know, some, some communication back and forth with the family. But, but to find a journal like this is just phenomenal. It's very rare, very rare. I mean, I had all the letters and, and photographs. Uh, the Harris family kept, you know, kept everything, which was nice. Sort of an author's dream, but the manuscript, 
you're correct. That's what really clinched it. And, you know, for me going through it, I, it was like I'm, I mean, I'm reading somebody else's book. It was that enthralling. And I'd sit down and read a couple paragraphs and look up and two hours have passed, you know, because I'm <laughs> reading about events that I was familiar with, but I'm seeing it through his eyes, which is just fascinating. And that's what I tried to put into the book. Oh, that's amazing. I I did have a chance to talk with a, a writer who worked with someone who was the subject of the book. Uh, it was um, one of the boys, I think the, the, the name of the book was uh, The Boys from Buchenwald. I, I think that's, or maybe it was The Boys from Auschwitz, I'm not sure, but it was one of a number of young people, like like in their early teens, that were liberated from the camp and then taken to Paris and then ultimately shipped out to other parts of the country because their parents were gone and, and so on. And and she had an opportunity to actually talk to this guy who had gone through it. Um, what about the, the personal interviews? Was there anyone around that, that could share a personal uh, perspective in in face to face interviews no no they they've 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 all <clears throat> they've all passed on um but again his manuscript was was so vivid uh and and the personal letters that he wrote to his parents and and the girl that he ended up marrying you know really show the the real the real bill harris not the you know, not the mask that most of us wear to keep the world at a distance. And those guys, you know, had a couple of masks. Uh, but but the real the real man, uh, and not only Bill, but his father. You know, that was a, a very different generation. And they, as I said, they weren't demonstrative. But you could tell from the letters, you know, how they really felt about each other. And it was it was very revealing to read those and to add those to the book as well. More with author and Lieutenant Colonel retired Dan Hampton straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital. 
go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Say, objection. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in edible arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for edible arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with author and Lieutenant Colonel retired Dan Hampton straight ahead. Now, you have a 20-year career in the Air Force. Um, what prompted you to start writing, Dan, and, and talking about some of these things? Because as you pointed out, men from that era, and I found that it's true even in more contemporary times um uh, veterans are not likely to talk very much about their experiences that's that's true uh, if, if you run across somebody in a bar waxing on about his experience in battle he's probably uh, <laughs> he's not telling the truth okay he's probably but, cliff clavin yeah, exactly. I mean, people that have really been there and done that uh, very almost unanimously don't talk much about it. Um, or if they do, it's only to other people that have, have, have been there and done that, too. Um, I started writing because after I retired uh, from, you know, as a fighter pilot, I went into the private military world. 
which is a very uh, interesting and dark place. But I, I got I, I got hurt again. I got wounded again coming out of a of a combat zone, and my little boy had just been born. And I wanted to write something down about me so that if anything happened to me, he would at least know, you know, something about his father. And that actually was the genesis of the first book, uh, the Viper Pilot book. Um, I didn't put a whole lot of personal feelings and things in there. It was more of an eyewitness account of, of some of the conflicts that I was part of. But um, it, it surprised me because it did so well at the time, and the publisher said, well, what else have you got? And so one idea led to another, and one book led to another, and so here you and I are today talking about number eight. So that's, that's kind of how it happened. You know, it's... Um Dan, it's it's kind of interesting. We're, we're so used to, um, at, at least in uh, recent years, efforts to remember the Holocaust and the horrors of the concentration camps throughout Germany and Eastern Europe. But I'm beginning to learn as more and more people are writing about things that happened in the Pacific, as you are, um, there were horrors equal going on in the in the Pacific, and a lot of people don't realize that. And Bill Harris lands right in the middle of all that. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I think I think what makes the Holocaust so poignant to most people is that they were civilians. You know, they yeah. were yeah. They, they were basically inoffensive people that were rounded up and and put in those places or executed or starved to death because of of who they were. Um, not just the Jews, but the Gypsies and you know everybody else that was part of that. Um, in the in the Pacific, these were these were soldiers, and uh, you know a lot of people expect soldiers to take their chances, right? I mean, that's why you're a soldier or a Marine or a pilot. You know, you, you expect that. You know that that's a possibility. So I think they, they think it's worse because these other folks were civilians. I think you're talking about different degrees of terrible myself, and you can't really do that. Japanese, no, but I've heard some, some things about uh, some of the treatment of, of women and nurses and other things that happened in the Pacific that... that we haven't heard a lot about. Yeah, and that's, you know, I think a lot of that is is because after the war was over, Japan became an ally, and so you don't like to, you know, make people... <laughs> you're you're not the first person to make that observation to me, Dan. Uh, true, <laughs> but I, I need to caveat all this with the Japan sure. I'm talking about is in, was Imperial Japan, which is of quite course. a different animal yeah. from modern-day Japan. Um, and it was a cultural thing to to not treat captives well. I mean, they thought surrender was a disgrace. You've lost your honor. You're not you're not a real human being if you surrender because they would never do it. So they had none of our cultural mores about you know treating treating captives well, and they didn't. You know, they they are a lot of what you you're seeing in the Ukraine from the Russians is is similar. You know, they're just butchers. And, and their behavior, according to our standards at the time, now and then, 
is barbaric. They didn't see it that way, but that's how, you know, it's viewed, and we won the war, so we get to write the history. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, and, and But interesting that we've... Yeah, we've we've kind of uh, glossed over a little part of the history, which is beginning to make a comeback, and largely because of stories like Bill Harris's being told. Well, I hope so, uh, and that's one reason why. I mean, I'd love to be a novelist. I wrote one novel, and and I've written other books that aren't military based, but I like to write about this type of subject because. This was a this was a turning point in our nation's history. World War II was, and it's something that cannot ever be forgotten. And it is it is surprisingly not well taught in most schools, which is why you know later generations don't know that much about it. Which I think is just is, is borderline criminal, because without the sacrifices that these people made, like Bill Harris. We would not have the country that we do today. We might not even have a country. So I think people need to be reminded of that. And and this book does that. And his story is uh, remarkable with, um, you know, capture and escape and sort of recapture. Um, he, he had a pretty rough go. Uh, that's one way of putting it. Yeah, and the thing to get out of this, that I'd like people to, to get out of it is that he that he never gave up. You know, he was, as the cover said, you know, he was defiant. He was defiant and he was resolute and resilient and there was just something in him that was not going to die. And he was going to keep struggling, fighting, doing whatever he had to do to get back in the war. He was going to die trying. And, and again, you're seeing that spirit sort of uh, personified today uh, in the Ukraine, you know, those those folks didn't have a lot of what they needed to fight, but they had a, a surplus of defiance and spirit. Now, that isn't going to win a battle for you. You've got to have the other stuff, too. But as the Russians have shown to the entire world, you can have all the modern equipment in the world, and if you don't have the fighting spirit that goes with it, you're going to get your can kicked, which is what's happening to them. What I... I uh... I was so impressed with Zelensky when uh, he was offered um, yeah, basically yeah. asylum, and he says, I need guns, not a ride. <laughs> yeah, he, he turned out to be a, a very good wartime president, regardless of whatever happened before. You know, it's sort of like Churchill. Churchill was basically a failure as a politician until World War II happened. And Zelensky is kind of along that same vein, you know. He's a he's a very good, and I think he really means it. He's not doing it for show. He really means it, and he's 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 very defiant. You know, I wish we had some of that backbone in our own White House. That um, you know, it's that's a, an interesting thing. And getting back to Bill Harris, do you think that? That defiance, that indomitable spirit, was just part of Bill Harris's makeup, or do you think it was instilled in him, perhaps by his father? Uh, I don't think you can put in what God left out, and if you don't have that somewhere inside of you, then you know you you can't be taught it in a classroom. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's got to got to be inside of you somewhere and you never really know about a person until the chips are down i think in bill's case uh 
you know, he grew up with it. He grew up around it. All of that's fine. You know, he graduated from the Naval Academy. He, he made it through all the Marine schools and, and courses that he had to do. But you never really know until the chips are down. And when the chips were down, he came through. So he had it within him somewhere all along. Yeah, you can maybe teach somebody what they're supposed to do, but if they don't have the wherewithal to actually do it. Uh, right. I mean, I'd love to be a concert pianist, but I, I don't have that gift. On the other <laughs> hand, maybe they can't fly a jet fighter. So, you know, you've got you've to go with what you've got. That's, that's true and a good way of putting it. Um, in this... Um, in this book, and, and you have an advantage because, as we were talking about earlier, um, having that, that journal, that log that Bill Harris kept, um, because a lot of those things are often filled in by the author, and the books become historical novels or historical fiction. There's a, a lot of you know, real-life stuff and places and events and all that. Um, but a, there's a lot filled in. How do you characterize what you do? Um, is there a, a genre for it? Uh, no, I would just, I would say it's, it's very definitely historical nonfiction. Uh, there is no fiction uh, in in any of this. I think, and I, I don't know how I managed to be fortunate enough to do it. I'm glad I can, but I, I, I don't really have an answer as to how. But I, I seem to be able to put these events and these people in, in, in realistic terms and let people see them as they really are. And, you know, it, it's not just words on a page. People feel like they get to know these these folks or be part of these events uh, through through the words. And I'm glad it worked out that way. Like I said, I, I, I'm not sure how it did, but, but, it, but it seems to. And like I said, in this case, in Bill's case, I had this wonderful manuscript to work from. Um, so, you know, everything in it, even though it may read like a novel, it is it is not a novel. This is this is this guy's real life, you know, and that's important to realize that all of these folks, known or unknown, named or unnamed, they were all people like you and me. I mean, they all had pasts, they all had futures, they all had dreams and things they wanted to do, and these things were all put on hold, and in a lot of cases they were lost because these folks lost their lives. These were real people, and that's what I'd like people to remember when they read this. With this... Um and and I'd like if you can, Dan, um, just to whet people's appetites a little bit, if you can at, at least kind of in broad strokes um, give a little bit of the synopsis of Bill Harris's uh, ordeal or, or at least, uh, you know, the, the highlights of, of what happened to him. Well, if you can imagine yourself on an island with no way out or off, facing uh, an enemy that outnumbers you nine to one, and you've realized that nobody's coming to your help, nobody's coming to your assistance, there's not going to be any reinforcements, it's just you, okay? You'll understand how the fight for Corregidor went, and then all of a sudden, you know, 
your 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 forces are surrendered and you are now in enemy hands. You are completely at their mercy. If they want to shoot you or stab you in the heart, they can do it, and nobody's ever going to do it, say a thing about it. You are completely at their mercy, which Bill absolutely hated being a, a Marine officer. Um, and and the conditions were just appalling. I mean, they crammed 13,000 men into a, an area about a football field and a half square, okay? Mm. Um, it was just appalling. And he knew he had to leave, and he knew he had to escape, and that's what the majority of the book is about, is how he escaped, how he tried to get to China, how he tried to get to Australia, how he was ultimately betrayed by some villagers and some islands far to the south, and how he ended up in a prisoner of war camp, the same POW camp initially that Lou Zamperini was in from Unbroken. They knew each other, as a matter of fact. Zamperini nursed Bill back to health after one of his beatings. Um, and, you know, just the, the, the hopelessness that most people would feel, you know, in being completely and utterly cut off. Uh, of course, this is, there's no instant communications. There's no... They, they didn't even get letters, okay? I mean, nobody knew where Bill Harris was for a couple of years. His family, his, you know, his mom, his father, his sister, nobody knew where he was. And he had to keep faith and fight that battle every day, you know, not to give up, not to be hopeless, not to believe what the Japanese were telling him, you know, until the sky over Japan filled with American bombers, and he realized, hey, if I survive this, I'm going to be free again. You know, for a lot of people, and I, and I don't know what it was like for you growing up and when you decided to uh, join the military, but a lot of people try and get as far away from their parents as they possibly can. They, you know, they, they don't want to take over the family business. They, you know, try and go off on their own and... and and I just wonder, in in Bill Harris's case, um, what his relationship was like with his father, who was a Marine general. Um, if if uh, if if he ever did sort of pull away from that authority, or if he was exactly. Uh, a, a model Marine General son. Uh, I'm not sure what what that would be. I think I know what you mean, though. Um, and you know, he, like I said earlier, his his dad was definitely from a, a, a another generation, and they just didn't show emotion or affection like we do today to our children. And I think the way we do it is is good up to a point as long as they're not, you know, spoiled and you go too far. I think Bill uh I think Bill made his father very proud. Uh I don't think his father particularly pushed him in one direction or another, but he certainly didn't discourage him when Bill wanted to go to the Naval Academy because his dad had been there too. Um, it was more or less of a family tradition, I think, to serve some time in the military, um, which is, is not a bad tradition. I, I, I think that's one issue we are facing today, is that there are too many people that, that have not ever done anything to earn the right to live in the United States. They, they claim the freedoms and the, and the rights that we have as a birthright, but they've never done anything to 
to earn it. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and join the military, but, you know, there's the Foreign Service, there's other things. Or you could simply just be a good, decent citizen. You know, yeah, there's, there's working at a food can... bank. What's that? There's working at a food bank. There's, you know, there are lots of opportunities. There's lots of things that people could do just to, just to earn, even in a small way, everything that was sacrificed to, to give us the country that we have. And I think too many people don't really think about that. So maybe maybe they'll come away from this and they'll think about that a little bit and think, you know, what could I do? I don't have to go out and fight, but maybe I could just be a better person or a little more tolerant or something along those lines, right? Are you, um, what's, what's next for you, Dan? Uh, I am writing another book uh, <laughs> right now. I, I had a feeling. I, yeah, another uh, do some time next year. Um, you know, I ski and uh, and do Colorado things and <laughs> and stuff like that. But I think you meant professionally. I'm I'm writing another book. I I, I hope that uh, what I'd really like to see happen is I'd like to see Valor made into a movie. I think it'd be a superb movie. So maybe somebody out there will hear this and decide maybe I should read this and have a look at it. It, it sounds like it to me. I was in fact I was going to uh, ask if that was. Uh, something that you had considered or would consider and um and and I was also curious did Bill Harris survive the war uh he did survive the war yep so he made it uh, back to the states and yeah i he did i i don't want to ruin the ending by yeah, telling you the rest yeah i i i didn't i i hoped that wasn't a spoiler alert but i couldn't help asking <laughs> well, that's, I think most people could look at the picture on the cover and see the baby and realize that he probably survived the war. Well, it's a uh, it's a fascinating story and something that uh, I think everyone can learn something from in terms of just being dedicated to the thing, whatever thing you've chosen to do. That's that's a good point, and that's uh, that's a good takeaway from the book. That and and the strength of hope. You know, if you don't give up hope, then there's always a chance. Certainly, Bill knew that, and I hope the readers come away with that as well. Well, Dan, I appreciate you spending this time with me and the listeners. And I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? Uh, I don't have a website, but I have a Facebook page. It's just Dan Hampton Author, and people contact me all the time through the messenger function, and and that's okay. I, I will always reply. I, it may take a while, but I'll always reply, and I love to hear comments on the book. And if folks like it, I would always encourage you to to do an Amazon review for me. Those those always help, and uh, and I hope they they get everything out of it that that I wanted to, you know them to do to do and and uh, I, it was just an honor to write about Bill and I hope I did him proud well Dan thank you so much and keep up the good work I will certainly do my best and thank you for the time this morning and having me on your show alright take care once again that was uh, author and lieutenant colonel retired Dan Hampton and uh, the name of the book is uh, Valor the Astonishing World War II Saga of One Man's Defiance and Indomitable Spirit about American hero Lieutenant Bill Harris. 
And uh, Dan knows what he's talking about. He flew 151 combat missions during his 20 years from 1986 to 2006 in the Air Force, for which he received four distinguishing flying or distinguished flying crosses with valor, a Purple Heart, eight Air Medals with valor, five Meritorious Service Medals, among others. And uh, after retiring, he's uh, now written eight books. Anyway, that that wraps it up. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program right after this. Now, when a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague And POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague Well, then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well Unless you want to bid our free society farewell There is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until july a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm and if you got a better <coughs> now back in 1918 influenza had its run but half the docks were busy overseas with world war one today we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away super damn important that we practice isolation because we are asymptomatic while it's an incubation will overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation it's super damn important that we practice isolation if we don't do it then we're all gonna die if we don't do it then we're all gonna die and so i hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart because it's already scary and we're only at the start if you get bored just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized oh super bad transmittable contagious awful virus if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine the last until july a super bad transmittable Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. 
We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacle that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom Sumner Show Oh yeah This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I've only comparatively recently emerged from the United States Army, so that I am now, of course, in the radioactive reserve. And the usual jokes about the Army aside, one of the many fine things one has to admit is the way that the Army has carried the American democratic ideal to its logical conclusion in the sense that Not only do they prohibit discrimination on the grounds of race, creed, and color, but also on the grounds of ability. (laughs) Be that as it may, some of you may recall the publicity a few years ago attendant upon the Army's search for an official Army song to be the counterpart of the Navy's Anchors Away and the Air Force's up in the air, Junior Birdman, and so on. (laughs) I I was in basic training at the time, and I recall our platoon sergeant 
who was an unfrocked Marine. <laughs> Actually, the change of service had come as quite a blow to him because it meant that he had to memorize a new serial number, which took up most of his time. <laughs> At any rate, I recall this sergeant's informing me and my roommates of, uh, <laughs> of this rather deplorable fact that the army didn't have any official, excuse me, didn't have no official song. <laughs> and uh, suggested suggested that we work on this in our copious free time. <laughs> well, I submitted the following song, which is called It Makes a Fellow Proud to Be a Soldier, which I think demonstrates the proper spirit, you'll agree. However, the fact that it did not win the contest, I can ascribe only to blatant favoritism on the part of the judges. The heart of every man in our platoon must swell with pride For the nation's youth, the cream of which is marching at his side For the fascinating rules and regulations that we share And the quaint and curious costumes that we're called upon to wear up to do his part defending you and me he wants to fight and bleed and kill and die for liberty with the hell of war he's come to grips policing up the filter tips it makes a fella proud to be a soldier when pete was only in the seventh grade he stabbed a cop He's real RA material, and he was glad to swap his switchblade and his old zip gun for a bayonet and a new M1. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. After Johnny got through basic training, he was a soldier through and through when he was done. Its effects were so well rooted that the next day he saluted a good humor man, an usher, and a nun. <laughs> an intellectual brings a book to every meal he likes the deep philosophers like Norman Vincent Peale <laughs> he thinks the army's just the thing because he finds it broadening it makes a fella proud to be a soldier flunked out of second grade and never finished school. He doesn't know a shelter half from an entrenching tool, but he's going to be a big success. He heads his class at OCS. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. Our old mess sergeant's taste buds have been shot off in the war, but his savory collations add to our esprit de corps. To think of all the marvelous ways they're using plastics nowadays It makes a fella proud to be a soldier Our lieutenant is the up-and-coming type Played with soldiers as a boy, you just can bet It is written in the stars He will get his captain's bars But he hasn't got enough box tops yet our captain has a handicap to cope with, sad to tell. He's from Georgia, and he doesn't speak the language very well. He used to be, so rumor has, the dean of men at Alcatraz. It makes a fella proud to be what as a kid I vowed to be. What luck to be allowed to be a soldier. At this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Take the highway, that's the best Get your kicks on Route 66 It winds from Chicago to L.A. More than 2,000 miles all the way Get your kicks on Route 66 Now you'll go through St. Louis and Joplin, Missouri And Oklahoma City looks mighty pretty You'll see Amarillo, Gallup, New Mexico Flagstaff, Arizona, don't forget Winona, Kingston, Boston San Bernardino, won't you get hit to this timely tip When you make that California trip Get your kicks on Route 66 
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. <laughs> 